Let's do this. Second Samuel 23. Um, this is cool. I love how the Lord does this. We are finishing Second Samuel, and chapter 23, and really the end is, is, is just different. It's chronological order up until about chapter 20, and then it becomes like an appendix. So it kind of goes back. So we just kind of looked at David and his kingdom and Absalom and uh, David's back ruling in Jerusalem. And then it kind of transitions to like, here's some end things we didn't cover and we want to cover. One of those things, if you guys know, we've been, we've been in First and Second Samuel for like a year and we're finishing it up. One of the things, if you didn't know, is uh, David's mighty men. We've never really covered that. And it ends, the appendix of this ends with saying, let's look at uh, the people David surrounded himself with. So it fits well. I love how the Lord does that. It fits well with today. And it's basically David's mighty men. And that's the title today is the people you surround yourself with. The people you surround yourself with. I think we know this, but it really matters who you surround yourself with. And I think there's a difference between um, maybe what we grew up with, thinking of fellowship, you know, koinonia, all these Christian terms like thrown out. But what is that versus just genuine biblical community that we see in Acts, where it says they met in the temple and in house to house. They met weekly, they met in the temple, they met large gathering, and they met small gathering. And we want to we wanna emphasize that. We want to look at that. What does it mean to be in community? What does it mean to be the church? How do we do this? Like, what, what is this? And why do we do this? And who should we surround ourselves with? So, Acts 23, um, let's look at verse 8. We're going to read about David's mighty men, and then uh, we'll use this as like a platform to talk through just hopefully what God can do in our church. All right. Second Samuel 23, verse 8. You guys ready? You guys okay? By the way, that's like the most announcements I've ever given in my entire life. I'm so sorry. All right. Verse 8. Here we go. He says, or it says, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Joshib, by the way, just forgive me in advance for all the name reading. It's just, uh, this is the best part of the Bible. Joshib Bathsheba, uh, Tech Amenonite. <laughs> he was chief of the three. So there's David had three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. And next to him, and next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. Great name, by the way, if you're looking for baby names. The son of Dodo, son of Ahohai. <laughs> he was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle and the men of Israel withdrew. But he rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. And next to him, the third mighty man, is Shema, the son of Agi, the Herorite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, full of beans. And the men fled from the Philistines, but he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory." And three of the 30 chief men went down and came about uh, of the harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam when, he, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephim. David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. But he, David, would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. 
These things the three mighty men did. Now, just two random guys, shout outs for them. I'm gonna read them. Now, Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, was chief of the 30. He wielded his spear against 300 men and killed them and won a name besides the three. He was the most renowned of the 30 and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. Verse 20, Benaiah, my dog. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer, listen, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. So epic. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, uh, a, and won a name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the 30, but he did not attain to the three. And David set him over his bodyguard. Five mighty men. You'll see 30 other names there. Why don't we just pray and look at the people we surround ourselves with? Cool? Yes? Let's do it. Father, we just, um, we just want to thank you. We want to thank you that we can gather, that we have this school. God, we have the faculty. We have an opportunity to be here, that they open this, this place up to us. And Lord, we are just so grateful. Um, Lord, we ask that you would just bring our attention to you, Jesus. That, Lord, we learn from the three. We learn from David Jesus, that we would learn from you and your three. That, Lord, um, that we would be with you. We would learn of you. We would do what you did. And, Lord, we cannot do that alone. And so, God, we just ask as we look at your word today that you would just make it really clear how it is you want us to live this out. Jesus, you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Jesus, you have made us a royal priesthood. We thank you for the fact that Everyone in this room who calls upon the name of the Lord, they are saved and they are saved to a life with you. They're saved to the body of Christ, that they have a role here, that they have a role in the body, that Jesus, we'd move on from just being someone who attends and is kind of on the peripheral, but that you, Jesus, through your spirit, through your word, would make us more like you. God, surround us with deep and rich friendships. God, help us to truly be what you have in mind, that we are joint and knit together, that we are bound in love, that Jesus, you are the head of the church. This would not exist without you. And so help us to learn again, just from your word, how it speaks of a, of a greater community you and, that we are invited into. We just want to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. It was the year LeBron won his fourth championship with the Lakers in 2020 that the greatest documentary known to mankind was released called The Last Dance. I don't know if you've heard of this documentary, The Last Dance, but it's a 10-episode series settling the question of who is the greatest um, basketball player of all time. I'm sorry for those of you who don't like sports. You, you know, this is my, my thing. Um, I, I remember 2020, this was released, The Last Dance. Unbelievable. Again, it's, you can watch it, 10 episodes. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. My, my hero growing up was Michael Jordan, still is probably to this day, except kind of seems like a jerk a little bit. But anyways, um, this was, it's fun because in 2020, LeBron won the fourth championship. And I think Jordan's like, hey, release the documentary. They need to know who's the best. Uh, and there's 10 episodes and you, it kind of walks the story of the Bulls in the 90s and uh, the 90s, that's fun. But it kind of walk, walks that story and you see him winning six championships 
And again, just for any of you who's just, you know, on the fence about this, yes, MJ is the greatest of all time. I don't care if he beats uh, Kareem's record. LeBron is number two, I guess. Um, but anyways, with this, uh, there's, it's fun. It's fun to watch this. It's fun to watch kind of like how the team got put together, the different personalities. Um, Michael Jordan said something that I thought was fascinating, though. He said, whenever the name Michael Jordan is said, the name Scottie Pippen should be said also. And because some people are like, oh, MJ. And he's like, if you say my name, say Scottie's name. The reason why I found that quote just fascinating is, obviously, he would not be who he was without the people he was surrounded with. Uh, same thing with LeBron. LeBron had greater people around him. MJ had to do with a lot less. Um, anyways... My point of this is obviously the people who you surround yourself with matters, right? He's saying there would be no story. There would be no last day. There, this wouldn't exist without this guy around me. I think the same goes for David in many ways. We know King David. And I don't know if we know the mighty men that David surrounded himself with or that they surrounded him with. There's just something about the people you bring into your life. And there's something about this though that I think is fascinating because they weren't always mighty men. They weren't. In fact, they were weak, destitute, broken men. And I want to look at this because this is important. Like, what are, what are some of the characteristics around David, around Jesus, the disciples? Um, what are some of the characteristics that we want to, like, make sure we talk about when it talks about community? Community can be like a, a word we just say and we don't live it out or, or do it or experience it. So here's what we're going to look at. Uh, from David's Mighty Men to, like, now, three things we see here specifically. We're going to see broken people, brave people, and bonded people. All right? Broken people, brave people, bonded people. Let me just kind of break this down. Number one, uh, broken people. Uh, this is actually a flashback. 2 Samuel 23 is actually taking us back to 1 Samuel uh, 22. So it's kind of like a flashback to David being stuck in a cave. Um, remember, David's already been the king. He's ruled and reign. Absalom's taken over. But 2 Samuel kind of it breaks the chronological order. And it's like, we got to go back. We never really explained who these mighty men were. So they give us some names and they give us kind of put a face on it. But it takes us back to 1 Samuel 22. And if you remember, David is alone. He's on the run from King Saul. He reaches this cave. Eventually, 400 men show up. Of these 400, 30 plus of them will become his mighty men. But it's fascinating because he, he is alone. He's like, God, I thought you anointed me to be king. Where's my help? I'm alone in this. And then these men show up. And these men show up. And we see like a brief kind of um, reference to this time where they go into Bethlehem to take from the well. We'll, we'll explain that. But I want to see something, I want you to see something that's incredibly important to the story. It's 1 Samuel 22, verse 2. This is the context. It says, And everyone who came to David, everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to David, and he became the commander over them. <laughs> this is the group of guys that come to David the distressed, the bitter in soul, and the ones in debt. All right, David's like, Awesome, God, thank you for these men. I think it's hilarious. Because, like, imagine this, like, they're like David. Like, the, the fact that they're, they're in debt, distress, bitter in soul. Welcome to community groups. This is kind of how community groups works. I think a lot of times we want to be surrounded by people who are strong, but we, we forget that the church is a hospital for sick people. We forget that, no, no, it's like, come to me, all those who are weary. We, we, we looked at this last week with Casey, but this idea, like, this is, this is a place for broken people. Actually, the, the only way in is by admitting, really, your, your desperate need for Jesus. That Jesus is like, I've, I've come for the sinners, not for the righteous. There's something about the church being a place of broken people, and yet we come and we don't like the brokenness. There's something about community, and we're like, yes, like any, this is for anyone and everyone. But then when you get around it, you realize broken people are broken people, and it's messy. And they might hurt you, and you might take offense to that. And you might go, I'm bitter at that church. I'm going to go to a new church. I'm bitter at this church. I'm going to go to that. And, and you move on and on. Because we really do forget the brokenness 
that it is. You know, David's mighty men weren't always mighty, right? It's, it's so true, but mighty men are not always found, but they're made. So it goes to this idea with the church. Sometimes you want, you have an idea of community, and it's really not what you thought it would be. I mean, let's be honest. How many of you had that experience ever where you go, and you don't have to raise your hand, but you can internally. But that thought of, this is not what I thought it would be. And there's a side, it's like, welcome. You're, you're like, welcome in. Like, come on. I've had the same thoughts. We've all had the same feelings. Like, this is not what I was hoping it to be, but this is what the church is. And this is what I love this because Jesus loves this. Jesus loves to do life with broken people. Jesus loves to call broken people. It's a verse you might know well, but it's so fitting. <clears throat> it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Listen to this. He says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble, uh, were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Hey, this, we should boast in this. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, it's like, not many of you are wise. Not many of you are noble. God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So again, welcome. I love this because we do want to boast in maybe what we've done, what we've accomplished, who we are. And we're saying, no, no, don't forget who Jesus hung out with. Don't forget who Jesus called. Obviously, the story of the church is that God chooses the most unlikely people to do the most incredible things. Like, that is the, the story of the church. The ones you're like, oh, there's no way God could use them. God's like, that's who I want to use. That's who I've called. There's something about this that I think also takes away, like, we want to feel like we've done something. We've accomplished something. I think religion is so appealing in that way because it, it's putting an emphasis on us or our works, and it makes you feel good. I think that's why it's appealing. And he goes, don't you not see this, that not many wise, not many noble? God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. When you look at just the disciples and who Jesus gathered, like, let's think about these 12 for a second. You have Judas, you have Peter, too, who both rejected Jesus. You have James and John, these brothers. And one of the best stories ever is Jesus is passing through Samaria. The Samaritans reject him. James and John go to Jesus, say, Jesus, should we just call it on fire from heaven and consume them? And he's like, no, I did not come to destroy, but to save. Um, and I love that, right? Like there were these passionate guys who were, had zeal, but foolish, missed the big picture. Like, no, I've I, I come to save, right? You have Jesus call Matthew and Levi, or Matthew or Levi. And you also have him call Simon the Zealot. These are two interesting guys. Maybe you know this, but you have Matthew or Levi. In a sense, he's a tax collector who works for Rome. But then you have Simon the Zealot who hates Rome. And a zealot was known for basically carrying a small spear or sword, and they would try to basically cause chaos. They might stab a Roman soldier, cause chaos, and run away and leave. I mean, zealots were dangerous. Jesus like, Simon, come on in. Matthew, come on in. We're going to do life together. I love this. It's like modern day is like, hey, AOC, Ben Shapiro, come on in. We're going to do life together, right? I love it. It's so different. It's this zealot and a, a Roman tax collector. Jesus is like, we're going to do life. This is, this is the church. This is the mighty men of David, broken, distressed, bitter in soul. This is the disciples. God really does love to do incredible things to the most unlikely people. I would say boast in your weakness. Boast in that side. Like you're invited into this. With that comes obviously chaos. With that comes fighting, bickering. 
the disciples are constantly arguing, who's going to be the greatest? I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Jesus is like, this child is the greatest. You, you both lose. But there, there's something about this. We're like, I, there's something about community that's going to be, it's going to be difficult, hard, frustrating. Your ego's going to be involved. You're going to be like, why didn't they call me? Why didn't they check in on me? Why do I have to be the one who always calls everybody? There's going to be all those things that kind of play into it. And I would say this, like we have to give ourselves to this. For, for, for us to experience healing and wholeness, know that we have to kind of embrace our brokenness. It says in Acts 4.13, a verse you probably know well, but I find fascinating. It says, remember Peter, and they, they helped uh, heal a man. And it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, and they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. What I love about this is uh, they heal someone, and they realize these are untrained, unlearned men. But what they're saying is profound. Oh, they must have been with Jesus. And there's something about this where like, again, Jesus ch- chose untrained, unlearned men. He, tro- he chose the Galileans, the fishermen, the least likely to change the world, who changed the world. And there's something about, I'm not going to boast in my strengths or my accomplishments, but I'm going to boast in my weakness that Christ may, may be made strong. There's something about realizing the community is saying, you know what? Uh, it's okay if we are different. It's okay if community looks like someone's older, someone's younger, uh, someone has a different political bent, Simon the Zealot, Matthew, it's okay because we have something in common and that is the person Jesus. And, and it will be difficult. And you, you better believe for th- three years of the disciples being together, they probably had some funny moments and awesome conversations, probably had some weird, difficult, fighting, heated moments that we see here and there. And I'm just very thankful the Bible portrays all of it. Again, Jesus said really clearly, he says, uh, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I says, isn't it so good that Jesus is like, I came for the sick. I didn't come for those who don't think that, if you think I don't need this, maybe you're right. If you think I'm good. There's a side of it where we have to boast, no, I am sick. No, I am weak. No, I do need this. And Jesus is like, yes, I've come for those who realize this. They need a great physician. They need someone. They need this. So again, David's mighty men, first and foremost, before they were mighty men, they're in 1 Samuel 22, 2, and they were some broken, messed up people. And I do want to say again, welcome to church. Rather than despising that, say, thank you, Jesus, that you would take someone like me in. Thank you, Jesus, that though I might have different perspectives or backgrounds or whatever it might be, thank you that we can have a, a commonness in you, Jesus. They realized they must have been with Jesus. This is what profoundly changed them as they were with Jesus. I'd say this is what changed the, the mighty men of David. They're with David. Again, I don't, these mighty men weren't always mighty, but they spent time with someone who helped make them mighty. And again, for us, we're saying, Jesus, you're the center. You're the true king, and you're going to do this in us. We might be broken, but there has to be pr- progress, and that's what we see. There's progress. And so uh, there's these stories that they share, and this kind of leads to number two. Uh, and number two is simple, brave people. The idea is that they're people of faith. Obviously, they took risks. This was a faith community. This was a faith community. They took incredible risks, obviously. I mean, it's insane, these stories, when you read them. But the point is like, yes, like we're broken, but there's a side of this, you're coming in faith. Like I will say, showing up to small groups takes some faith. It does. When you show up to someone's house, you're like, hey, is this where it is? I'm kind of freaked out right now. Um, it takes some faith, but listen, how, that's so little compared to obviously what these guys did. But there's a side of it where it's a faith community. It's a brave community. A few things about these guys, we'll put them up here. The three names, uh, Joe Sheb, I'm gonna just call him Joe. Eleazar and Shema. Shema, sorry, Shema. So here's what Joshua did. Uh, he killed 800 soldiers at one time. Eleazar, it says, uh, the men of Israel withdrew. So he's the only one. And he fought and he clung to the sword. His hand was weary, yet he clung to the sword. He would not let go of the sword. They find him with his like, grip still attached to the sword. 
he's alive. And then Shema, he defended the, the field of lentils and struck down the Philistines. When everyone else is like, hey, we're not going to guard the beans. He's like, I got the beans. All right. And he fought for it. I don't know why. This is a great story to me. I just feel like if you had like a flashback movie, I don't know, some sort of gladiator type of movie, and they like introduce the characters. He's like, I got the beans. And was like, I got the 800. And there's obviously speculation, like 800. Obviously, it was a great work of God. Obviously, it's a miracle. You know, there's speculation. Did he push them off a cliff? What happened? We don't really know. He's just obviously an insane warrior. Uh, Eliezer clinging to the sword. I love this because people have made comparisons to this in this way. Um, raising your hand against 800 is a lot. We need men of war and women of war who can raise their hands in prayer. We need people who can be consistent. Raise your hands a lot. We need people who cling to the sword. People who say, I know the word. I love the word. I cling to the word. The sword is always a picture of the word. We need people of prayer. We need people of the word. We need people who are just faithful. I got the beans. We need people who are saying, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to guard this. And then there's two other shout outs, by the way, which I think is fascinating. Abishai and Benaiah. Abishai wielded a spear against 300, which is insane, but it made it clear he's not part of the three. Then Benaiah, listen to this, a valiant man, a doer of great deeds. He struck down the two arrows of Moab. There's a lot of confusion about what that means. Uh, some original words say they're lion-like men, like very strong men. But he also went down in a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. That is the most epic phrase ever. Um, there's a book I read when I was like 20. It's called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day by Mark Batterson. If you want to read it, read, he writes a book about just that guy. Um, I don't know how he does it. But it was, I, yeah, this is actually, I wanted to name my first, Mike was supposed to be Benaiah. Kimber said no. Um, sorry. But if someone wants to name their kid Benaiah, I, yo, that's what I wanted. Um, dude, Benaiah is awesome, right? This is a doer of great deeds, a valiant man. The mindset of he killed a lion in a pit on a snow day. Again, that scene, I just visualized it. I'm like, why is this not a movie? It needs to be a movie. But I love this. These are the men that are surrounded um, David and came to David. And I love this. They're brave, bold men. And it's, it's amplified in this story in verse 15 through 18. So if you look at verse 18 or verse 15, David is there at the cave. He sees the Philistine garrison. And he goes, it says he said longingly, man, how I wish to have a drink from the well at Bethlehem. We'll put the verse up here. But verse 15, David said longly, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. Just this little story in between these, these five men, their names, um, this is fascinating. David, obviously, you, you guys know this, but David is from Bethlehem. That's his home. It's now occupied by foreign enemies. The Philistines are in Bethlehem. David's on the run. And David just says longingly, I wish I could have a, a drink of the water from the well at Bethlehem. Let me say this. Is it that David is really thirsty or is it something else? I would say it's something else. David is longing for the promises of God to be fulfilled. David is longing to be home. You can imagine being anointed by Samuel. You're the next king, but there's no signs of that. You're on the run. Your life is constantly being threatened. Here you are, God finally brings you some men. In 1 Samuel 22, we see this story as well. And David's like, man, I just wish to have a drink. I wish from, this, from the well of Bethlehem, not just any well, but from my home well. There was a deep longing with David to be home. And what I love is that these men heard this and it says, then, notice how quick it is. Then the three went. Just so fast. David didn't say, Whoever's the bravest among you will go and get me water from the well of Bethlehem. He doesn't do that. David just kind of utters quietly, longingly, how I wish I had a drink. And they're like, let's go get it. I, by the way, I think there's something here. One is this. Um, there's something different between 
should I go do, like, how, how, okay, Jesus says to do something. I'm wrestling with it. I'll go do it. There's something about listening carefully and closely to the heart of God where it's maybe not even said as this command way, and you're like, let's go do it. There's something beautiful about, like, listening for the heart and the voice of God, and you're like, wait, what is it you want, God? I, I think when it comes to these three mighty men, there's something so beautiful about their king has a wish. He doesn't say, now go do, but they just know this is the heart of the king. Let's go do it. I would say as followers of our king, there's something beautiful, not do I have to go get water from the well of Bethlehem to may he just, this is what he wishes, let's go fulfill it. I think that is a beautiful place to be in. It's a beautiful place to say, I, it's not that I have to, I want to. I get to be a part of this. The king wants it, let's go do it. But we're gonna see that their desire was a little bit ambitious, <laughs> but there's like, king, we're, we're hanging off your every word. And he says, how I, again, there's something about this, and I want us to see David in this moment in time here in 2 Samuel 23. It's a flashback of 1 Samuel 22. But there's something about this. It's like, God, are your promises going to come true? What you promised me, the kingdom, um, uh, uh, I'll have a throne that reigns forever. Is this going to happen? Like, wh- wh- when is this going to happen? How is this going to happen? How I long to be back there. And I love it because they're going, we want to show David that God is with him. We want to show David that God will fulfill his promise. Let's go do this. These are the three mightiest men. One killed 800. One, you know, guarded some beans. I don't know, but these are some mighty men, right? And they're like ready to go do it. But here's what they do. They do it. They bring it to David and look at verse 16. We'll put the verse up here, but it says, but he, David, would not drink of it and he poured it out to the Lord. Now, obviously David's going, you guys understand that, that first of all, if you're one of the mighty men, that's like kind of offensive. You're like, oh, we just like risked our lives and you just poured on the ground. But notice David kind of has to do this because it, there's other, the other side of this is whenever he says something like that, Maybe people will constantly risk their lives, constantly put themselves in danger. David doesn't want to create that culture of like, okay, we're just going to lose men to these foolish little things. So he pours it out to the Lord. But I love this because here's they are. These men are bringing their devotion to David. And David is like, I cannot drink of this cup and pours it out to the Lord. Listen, when men praise you or in a sense bring you their devotion, you better pour it out to the Lord. There's something about not drinking of the cup of devotion, but of pouring out to the Lord. What I mean by that is, I, I love how one, it's been said, or one author said it this way, um, you might, praise is like perfume, you might smell it, but don't drink it. Don't, don't drink perfume, smell it. People might bring you their praise, you might smell it, but don't drink it. Don't drink of that devotion. Br- bring that devotion back to the Lord. He poured it out to the Lord. Obviously, they had something, you know, where they, in the Old Testament, would pour out offerings to the Lord. He pours it out to the Lord. It's, an, it's now an offering to God. It's now spiritual worship to God. He's like, don't bring your worship to me. Bring your worship to God. And he pours it out to the Lord. There's something about community where, again, maybe we can miss the point or you can build the friendships, relationships. And it's like the devotion is ultimately to King Jesus. The, the devotion is saying, I'm gonna, you know, if someone brings you praise or devotion, you say, no, it's Jesus's. I can't drink of this cup. This is not for, my, for me to drink of. And what I love about this story too, again, is when you hear this, I feel like there's just these little whiffs of, do you not know that, that we have a God who says, I have a cup of living water, and if you drink of this, you'll never thirst again. That you and I have a God who's, who hears the longing of our heart, how I wish to have a drink, and God's like, I have a cup for you to drink. We have a God who says, I hear those longings, I hear those sighs. If you have this sigh, like, I, maybe you're like, I, why am I never satisfied? Why am I never happy? Why am I always looking at something else? Because there's something in you that is craving for home, like David. It's craving for home. And there's only one person who can bring you that cup to satisfy you. There's only one person who says, let me go get the water that you can drink from and you'll never thirst again. And there's just something about that. But these men come together, they risk it all. They're brave men. 
And David is showing them, it's, this cannot be about me or centered on me. It must be centered on the Lord. He pours it out to the Lord. Again, a simple point, but these men risked it all. They had something in common. And, and in reality, they were just saying, you know what? We're going to be a community that's based off faith. We're going to take risks for the kingdom. I would love to have a community that says, we're going to take risks for the kingdom of God. This might be uncomfortable. This might be difficult. We might risk it all, but it's worth the kingdom. And it's worth saying, let's, let's be men and women of faith. That, you know what? We're going to be brave. That we're going to step out. We're going to take risks. We might do the hard thing. We're going to share the hard thing. We're going to put ourselves in uncomfortable moments so that God might show up. That's in a sense why we're doing like a fasting. We're just saying, hey, can we pray this week? Can we pray for God's kingdom to come? Can we actually pray for people by name? Maybe that your neighbors or family members or friends. Can we actually pray for, like, can we take risks this week? Instead of eating, maybe we buy someone else a meal and get, drive it to a homeless person, share the gospel. Like, can we actually take some risks this week? Like just having a community that's yes, broken, but that yes is brave and is willing to take risks for the kingdom of God. And then lastly, we'll just summarize it with this. These were a bonded people, a bonded people. It actually says this in 1 Corinthians 11 about this. So 1 Corinthians 11 is a chapter that tells the same story with maybe some different uh, facts or details. First Chronicles, sorry, 1 Chronicles 11. And it says this, these were the heads of the mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom. Notice that they strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom. The mighty men that came around David are basically saying, we're all about one, growing in strength and we want to strengthen your kingdom. We're about your kingdom. There is something again about being bonded. What are we bonded by? We are hopefully here because not because for ourselves or our kingdom, but we want to strengthen and build Jesus' kingdom. It's not my kingdom. It's not your kingdom. We are saying we're bonded by this kingdom of Jesus. We are saying that we have the most important thing in common. Like, think about this. Like, you could meet someone from anywhere around the world. If they know Jesus and you know Jesus, you automatically feel like you're connected to that person. When you go on a mission trip, you meet someone, you're like, oh my gosh, you believe in Jesus? I believe in Jesus. Even if you don't speak the same language, you're like, oh, there's something there. There's something so sweet about that because we have the most important thing in common. See, like, when it comes to think about this word, like community, community, it is based off this idea of something in common. What is in common? The common denominator is always Jesus and his kingdom. You're saying, it's not my kingdom. I'm going to strengthen our, ourselves in, with him and his kingdom. We want to see his kingdom come. His will be done. This is the most important thing we have in common. Uh, uh, we put it down this way. The depth of a community is based off what they hold in common. The depth of a community is based off what they hold in common. I've been a part of a lot of groups or things where we had things in common, but it's very shallow. It's like, like sporty, athletic thing. We're super tight-knit. It's awesome. But you're like, do we really know each other? And is there depth there? And like, we're not like praying for each other. We're not like, and I've been a part of those things where like there's a brotherhood and that's sweet. But then I've been a part of the church where it's like, actually, we are, there's like blood, sweat, and tears. We're praying for each other. We're invited into our family's lives. They have a child or we have a child. And like you cry with each other when you go through something. You laugh with each other when you celebrate something. There's something so deep about the Christian community that no other community can offer. Because we're saying we're bonded by physical, emotional, but most importantly, spiritual things that you and I have the most important thing in common, that is Jesus. That's why we can meet anyone from around the world and say, oh wait, you might be a Syrian refugee, but you believe in Jesus. Look at, we have something, the most important thing in common. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about this. He says, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No community is more or less than this. Whether it be brief, single encounter of the, uh, or the daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. The idea is we have the most important thing in common. That's why you can have a tax collector and a zealot come and sit down and eat a meal 
and end up giving their lives for the same thing, is that we have Jesus at the center. There will be so many things that will come and go, so many communities that you can be a part of. Like, again, you know this, but you can be a part of a, a bad community, a community that's centered around something that's not healthy or not good, that's actually toxic. But when you're around a healthy community centered on the most important thing, we're saying we're centered on Jesus. We're centered on, centered on the one, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one that has no end, the one whose kingdom is going to come. And we're all about this kingdom. And you go, we know this is a community that can have depth and richness and beauty, but listen, it will be painful. It will be filled with messiness and broken people. And we want to say, welcome, come on in. Like we, we definitely need this. To simply put it, community is devotion. They brought their devotion to David and David is saying, let's bring your devotion to the Lord. Let's pour it out to him. Like community has to be devotion. There's a side of this where in 2023, here in the West, here in America, here in South Florida, we are primarily like a preference-based culture, not a commitment-based culture. And we have to fight and say, you know what? I'm not going to go with like, you know, we live in the weirdest moment where it's like, hey, Friday night, we're doing this thing. Do you want to come? And people are like, always wait because we have like, we have this weird FOMO of like, well, I'll just wait and see if something better comes up. Um, but there's something about like, no, like we're going to be in, like we're in. We're committed to Jesus, the gospel, the kingdom to each other. Like, we're going to fight for this. We're going to make space for this. I love what um, Greg Laurie, a pastor, said. He says, if we train people to be consumers instead of communers, we'll end up with customers instead of disciples. If we train people to be consumers instead of communers, community, we will end up with customers instead of disciples. We really want to fight this. There is a temptation for us today with just kind of showing up bare minimum. Aren't I doing enough? Isn't this good? Like, I, I kind of want to say, like, I'm not okay with just, like, what the church has been for so long, for many of us, for myself included, where it's like, uh, yeah, I'll give this much, but I don't want to be all in. And I want to say there's something about saying, like, you know what, Jesus, I'm, I'm all yours. Like, I'm, I'm in. Not my will, but your will. Help me. You know, I want to surround myself with people who are saying, I'm all in. Yes, we might be broken. Yes, we might be messed up. But there's something about being like, I'm all in, Jesus. I'm all in. I'm all, I'm all yours. Like, let's do this. Let's make disciples here not customers. Yes? Let's not be people who say, how can we create people who just kind of, we can get across the barrier? Like, let's actually say, no, we're committed to the gospel of Jesus and to one another. That way they met in the temple and house to house. And what they do? They ate their food with simplicity of heart, with gladness of heart. They're devoted to scriptures, prayers, fasting. Like, they're devoted to these things. We used to say, we want to build off that. So a couple quick little thoughts. Um, here's the thing. I think community is the best way God actually builds us in our faith. There's a book called Slow Church. Let me just read this. He says, spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. Listen, long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay grow. People who leave do not grow. It is that simple, but profound biblical reality that we both grow and thrive together or we do not grow much at all. Basically, God grows us through community. This is Ephesians 4. We are, we are joint and knit together to build up the body of Christ and Christ being the head. So we say, hey, we want to grow this. How do we want to grow this? We want to meet and love and be centered around Jesus. And so here's a couple thoughts. Listen, um, this is nothing profound, but just stay with me and we'll end with these thoughts. Some practicals. If you're like, how do I do this, Josiah? Like community, I've done it before. It didn't work. Okay, well, let's retry it. Uh, number one is this. We'll throw it up here. Be present. Show up. Show up every week. Long day, hard day, show up. This is so important. I just think you'll have those moments of, I don't want to go, but I'm so glad I did. Show up. 
Number two, come ready with notes and questions from the message. Like, don't just be like, all right, so what are we talking about today? Don't do that. Come ready with your own thoughts. What did the Holy Spirit say to you? What did God do in your heart? Where was the Holy Spirit prompting you, convicting you, encouraging you? Come ready to share that. Uh, Come ready to discuss, obviously. Same kind of a thought. Come ready to listen. I want to hear other people. What are they going through? Not just, I can't wait for them to shut up so I can talk. No, bad. Not a good community. Go, no, no, like, what are they going through? I really want to listen. I really want to take it in. I want to write it down. I want to say, how can I pray for you? And I want to actually put it down somewhere and remember and do it later. Come ready to listen. Come ready to be challenged and offended. We are not doing our job if everyone just agrees with you. If you come into a group and you're like, it's so crazy. Everyone always agrees with me. Maybe we're not doing something right. Like, you, there should be a, a point where you're like, I, I feel like Jesus and his word is confronting an area of my life. Uh-huh, that's good. It's gonna happen to all of us. All of us sooner or later are gonna have that. Um, come ready to be encouraged and to encourage. If it's only a group you gather around, you're like, every week they discourage me. That's not good either. Um, be encouraged. Come to encourage. So necessary. Uh, come ready to receive and give. You have to come with the heart of Jesus. What is it you want to say to me today through community? Maybe, maybe God speaks to you. Yes, he will speak to you through his word. And maybe he'll speak to you through a person in that group. And I'm going to come ready to receive. I'm going to come ready to give. One of the coolest things to me about our groups that I've seen over the last five years, which is so cool, so crazy. But it's been so cool to see when there's a need, I feel like the needs are met. It's insane. I've been a part of chats or I've seen other groups do it where it's like, oh, they bought them groceries. Oh, they helped pay their mortgage. Oh, they, it's amazing. I want to say thank you because it's so beautiful and I don't feel like I have to, and I don't have to challenge that much because you're doing it. So beautiful. But come ready to receive and to give. Come ready to learn from Jesus and do what he did. Part of our hope in the community, and we do this and we say, hey, leaders, community group leaders, we give a hundred bucks a month if they want to use for outreach. So if a group wants to use it for outreach, they want to put together some love bags, like we'll reimburse up to hundred dollars a month per group because we want to invest and go do what he did. Um, our hope is to put, like saying, we don't really have a missions department, right? We don't have like, we don't have a, a mission person on staff. We have you guys. And so we're saying, hey, we're going to give groups time and money if they need to like, live on mission. Let's do it. They have ideas. Let's do it. Maybe they use the budget. Maybe they don't. Maybe they pay it themselves, but we want to give money towards this specifically. Um, we want to do what Jesus did. Obviously, come as you are. Don't feel like you have to say the right thing. Don't feel like you have to be like, oh, I think they think this way. Let me just play into that. If you're frustrated, angered, bitter, annoyed, like, I think that it should be there. Hopefully, it can be a safe place in that way. Hopefully, it can be like the Psalms are like, how long, O oh Lord? And maybe you can have that. Guys, I just feel like God's not answering this, and I'm really struggling here. Come as you are. Number 10, come consistently. Again, it's just, if, if you want to see growth, it has to be consistent. This isn't anything and everything we do. Um, this is not that profound, but it's worth noting. Because I think, um, again, what we do is, I've tried it. And I'm like, did you? Did you try it? I'd say, try it. You know, I think we need to give ourselves over to it. So here's the idea. Um, Jesus obviously had his disciples. He had his three. David had his three. We want to say, find. Find your group. You might have the 12, then you might have the three. We also offer something called core groups. It looks similar to this. It says core groups on the outside. Uh, we have, this is a way to say, hey, maybe you have your 12 or your small group, but maybe within that group, you take this thing that says core groups on it and you do it with one person. And C-O-R-E for core groups, it's confession. How do we confess sins to one another? You know, uh, how do we read scripture together? How do we exhort one another? It's just kind of walking through that. So anyways, I want to share this with you guys' opportunities. Here's what we're going to do. Um, because it's just, I don't want to just like, obviously talk about this and that's it and bye. Um, we want to prove the leaders. There's a lot of sacrifice, a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of money that the leaders put into this, open up their home or showing up and driving there. So we don't just want to pray for them. We want to pray for God's faithfulness, for God to show up, for the spirit to move. So if you are a small group leader, um, would you come up here? We are going to pray over you and, um, 
And I want also everyone here to see who they are. So come on up, leaders. Don't be shy. Someone lead it up. Yeah. Um, there you go. Get it for John. There, oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. They're here. Um, we have obviously some people who are out of town today. This is not every small group, but the point of it is here are many of our small group leaders. Um, in the back, there are these tables. I think there's six tables and there's different names on it with QR codes. You can hold your foot up to the QR code. It'll tell you the location, day, time. Um, again, these are the ones who are leading these groups, leading these conversations. Um, we have some couples groups uh, that are different this year. And so just, again, I would say this, don't leave. Go say hi to the leaders up here. Go talk to them. Where are you? When do you meet? Um, and then just ask questions. We have our you know, stuff in the back. Please meet them. There's donuts in the back. I don't think you get a donut unless you talk to them. Um, so please talk to them, meet them. Uh, again, why don't we do this? Just lay your hands towards them. And we just want to pray over them for just strength, for power, for the spirit, um, and for God to move and do what he does best. So let's do that. Father, we thank you that your son Jesus has sent us, that we have this great commission to go and to make disciples of all nations. And Jesus, I ask for the leaders up here that they would realize and that they would see that they are participating in this to help make disciples, to help build your church. You, Jesus, are the head. This is your bride. Jesus, we ask for these leaders that um, you would give them wisdom, insight, God, that your grace would be upon them, that if they don't know what to say, they would say, I don't know what to say. Let's go to the word. That Jesus, you would just give them um, power that can only come from you. So fill them, God. God, I pray for relationships they don't even know yet. They haven't met yet. God, I pray for just deep friendships through this. God, that, that we would not be... <laughs> Uh, the American version of what we think this is, that we'd just be like the book of Acts, Lord. That this were, there would be truly devotion to one another and to you primarily. God, we thank you. We look to you. We need you. And we just ask God for your favor on them in this season, for strength, for endurance. And it would be not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, Lord. And we ask this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.